It's a privilege this morning to open up the true living word of God and to read from it and to hear as a community, as a church. And this morning we're going to be reading from the Gospel of John. And we're reading from John chapter 1, reading from verse 35 through to the end of the chapter. So John chapter 1, and starting from verse 35. Uh, it's titled in here, Jesus, uh, John's disciples follow Jesus. Verse 35. The next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. A day with Jesus and a sleepover. What an awesome experience they would have had. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. And finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you so much for that reading. Well, welcome again, and obviously we are starting a new series in John today, something that we can all be very excited about. Uh, John is an absolutely incredible book, and uh, as we begin this series, we don't want you to forget what we spoke about on Focus Sunday and where we are actually heading as a people this year, and it's all about connecting. So this morning, the overarching theme is connecting with Jesus when we look at this passage of Scripture from John. And before we get into the main message, I think 
think it's important for us to understand some of the background surrounding why this book was written and how it is different to the other Gospels and why that may be. The author of the book goes almost unchallenged. So I am very comfortable in saying I believe it is John. Um, the one who was loved of Jesus. And uh, his name's never mentioned in the Gospel account, but most commentators believe that it was John, and as I say, I'm very comfortable in that. with that. This book was written much later than the other Gospels. This one was possibly and most likely written around 80 to 90 AD. And it, it's interesting, when they look at the way that the Gospel was written, it's written with a level of excitement, a level of expectation, and they believe something happened for John. Jesus or God spoke to him and he thought I've got to get this down and it wasn't long after he wrote this that he went to be with the Lord and so we can read it with that excitement as well now there's many arguments as to whether John considered the other gospels when he wrote this and I don't even know why they have those arguments because 91% of the gospel of John is not in the other gospels it really stands alone it's a book that you can read uh, which gives you a whole heap of information that's not contained in the other Gospels. So there's many significant accounts and events that you may expect to be in a Gospel in the Bible. And I'm not sure if you're aware, but in John's Gospel, Jesus' birth isn't there. Jesus' temptation isn't there. The transfiguration of Christ isn't there. Most of the miracles are not there. In fact, um, all of the parables that are called parables are not contained in the Gospel of John. There are some that people call parables, but they're not called parables in Scripture. The historic Last Supper in the upper room is not in the Gospel of John. All of these significant events that we could expect. But there's also a number of unique exclusions. Uh, the signs of Jesus, the I Am statements. And John, more than any other Gospel, stresses the humanity of Jesus, the suffering of Christ, the way he wept at times, the fact he sweated like anyone else does, that he cried, that he suffered, that he died. But it's also in John's account where the deity of Christ is emphasised as well, where he is seen as God. Listen to how John describes him. Verse 1, Jesus is God. Verse 3, he's the maker of all things. Verse 4, he's the one true light. Verse 14, he is the word which became flesh, the Son of God. Verse 18, he is the unique God, God the one and only. Verse 29, he is the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God, not a Lamb, the Lamb of God, the one that was always planned who would take away the sin of the world. Verse 34, he is the Son of God. Verse 38, he is a rabbi or teacher. Verse 41, he is Messiah, the anointed one of God. Verse 45, he is the one Moses wrote about. Verse 49, he is teacher, Son of God, the King of Israel. All of this in one chapter of John. Much more than any of the other Gospels, much more than any of the other books in the New Testament. And we may say, well, why did John write this book? And we don't have to question that. We don't have to ask because John tells us himself in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so John has this eyewitness account of who Jesus is. He understands that Jesus is the Son of God and he gives, his account from his, gives the account of Jesus' life from John's perspective and he gave it so that you might believe. Believe is a very significant word in the Gospel of John. 
He mentions it 98 times in his gospel. That's more than in any of the other gospels combined. So if you combine the three gospels, it's not there. It's one third of the occurrences in the whole of scripture. John's desire is that we believe. And in believing, we connect with God. We have relationship with him. We submit to him as our Lord that we might have life in his name. That's his desire for us. That's his desire for everyone who reads. But what we need to understand, John doesn't want us passively reading this word. He doesn't want us looking at it and then walking away and forgetting about it. When he speaks about belief, it is a verb, it is an action. He wants it applied to our lives. He wants it to transform us. He wants us to draw closer to God. And that is the whole point of what he, why he wrote. He wants you to read and believe and to believe in such a way that it motivates you, that it transforms you, that it draws you closer to Jesus and you end up fully committed to him, living your lives for him. And that includes me as well. I don't exclude myself. Let's pause and pray as we get into this passage this morning. Father, I thank you. Your word is exciting. I thank you it's alive. I thank you it's engaging. I thank you that it points to you. And I thank you, Lord, if we take it seriously, if we're found on our knees before you, reading your word, asking you to reveal your truths to us, you will do exactly that. And Lord, that's my desire this morning. I just pray people will look at your word, not at me, that they'll understand what you are saying to us and there'll be this transformation, this engagement with you where we learn from you. Use me, Lord, to transform lives, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we are focusing on connecting with Jesus. And we'll see this morning how connecting with him and obeying him brings people to Jesus. That's an outworking of actually connecting with him. It's a natural step from actually connecting with Jesus. And we see in this um, reading this morning that people come to Jesus in different ways and they're different types of people who come to him and different types of people who are used to bring them to him. And so our reading this morning commences with a declaration from John the Baptist. And we don't know what John was doing at this time, whether he was actually physically baptising people at this time or whether he was preaching to the crowds or teaching his followers or whatever. But whatever he was doing, he stops and he points to Jesus and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This was a significant thing. John wanted everyone who was there, everyone who could hear him to know that this is the one that John had been preparing the way for. He wanted them to realise it wasn't about him, it was about Jesus and this man who'd now arrived at the side of the Jordan River. And John is this incredible man of God. He, he has his own disciplined followers. He has these people who just spend time with him constantly learning from him. His call was to preach and to be an evangelist. And John publicly did that. And he boldly proclaimed that people needed to repent and believe that the promised Messiah was coming. But John also knew, even though he had his own disciples, even though he had his own followers, he knew that his ministry was only for a certain time. He knew that it wasn't about him, that he was given this incredible privilege to proclaim the name of one who was coming who was better than him. And John says himself, whose feet, whose sandals, I am not even fit to untie. He understood his position in life. He understood it was about the promised Messiah. It wasn't about him. And so John's purpose and what became his desire was to point people to Jesus. 
And he says himself in John chapter 3, he, Jesus, must increase. I must decrease. I wonder if we think the same way. John rejoices in Jesus' arrival. He knows what Jesus, and he knows about Jesus, he knows who he is, and he knows what he will do. And he says, Behold the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. John declares this is the Lamb of God. And Israel was so much more aware of the hundreds of thousands of lambs that were sacrificed, bringing temporary atonement, temporary, temporarily putting people into right relationship with God. But it was something that had to be repeated again and again and again because the sin was never actually dealt with. But when Jesus comes, when he came, he was the Lamb of God. There was no other like him. He stands alone. It was him who was spoken about in the Old Testament, him where the expectations were placed that he would die once and for all, the Lamb of God, who would take away the sin of the world, nothing ever being having to be done again. Jesus paid the price for all. He was able to turn away God's wrath. And he was chosen from the foundation of the world. And he willingly came to be that final sacrifice so that salvation could be offered to all of mankind through him, through Jesus Christ, to all of humanity, no exceptions. And John announces that in Jesus, the Son of God has arrived. And this guy, Andrew, hears about it. Andrew is one of John's disciples, and he, along with another one of John's disciples, start following Jesus. And Jesus turns to them and says, What are you seeking? And they say, Rabbi or teacher, where are you staying? And he says, come and you will see. And I don't know what you think when you read this, but there's a whole heap of hidden messages there if you don't pay attention. Uh, it's easy for us to miss what's being said here if we don't dwell in it, if we don't spend some time in it. And, and this is a call to discipleship. All of the words are relating to following Jesus. The word used for following in the Greek, uh, even in this context, actually means to accompany as a disciple. So when they ask where Jesus is staying, that's the Greek word which means to abide with, to dwell with, to spend time with and in. And so these terms are used of our relationship with Jesus. We're called to abide in him. We're called to spend time with him without any other distractions or anything like that. It is how we learn from him to be one-on-one -on -one in his very presence. And the final term that is used here to come and see is that initial call into relationship with Jesus. Knowledge of Jesus and of his word is not enough. Some think it is. It's not enough. Always has been, always will be about relationship with him. We must come to him. We must examine the evidence and we must decide ourselves, is he the son of God? And if we say, yes, he is the son of God, the saviour of the world, the next decision is, will I follow him? Will I obey him? And if the answer is yes, he becomes your Lord and Saviour. And that's that initial call. Come and see. It's the call that is placed upon each and every one of us. The thing is, all of this together is a lifelong process of connecting with God, connecting with Jesus. And Jesus is saying, this is where it starts. Come and see. But I've got so much more for you. There's so much more for you to experience. But this is the beginning. You must take this initial step. Come and see. And we all know the scripture that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen? Because he is good. It doesn't mean my life's great, but 
He's my rock. And even in the deepest, darkest moments, he is present, he carries me, he supports me, he strengthens me, and I feel his love and presence constantly. Jesus says, come and see. Follow me. Let's travel together. Don't be distracted. Abide with me. Dwell in my presence. And then Andrew, with one of the other disciples, go and spend time with Jesus. And it isn't mentioned what happens in that intimate meeting, but I'd imagine they just hammered him with questions. They had a whole heap of things they wanted to know. Is this truly the one? Could he be the promised Messiah? And whatever happens in that conversation, it transforms them. And so Andrew goes out and he tells someone and he goes to his brother Peter and he says, we have found the Messiah. The Messiah, the promised deliverer of Israel. And Andrew must have been convincing as it seems Peter just gets up and goes with him immediately to see Jesus for himself. And and what is also evident is they must have been learning about this coming Messiah because they said, we have found him. And hidden with that is, if they've found him, they must have been looking for him. They must have been expecting him. There was stuff even in this that we can miss if we're not careful about what is actually being said. And so these guys have been waiting and looking for this promised Messiah, the deliverer, deliverer of Israel. And they're expecting his coming and his arrival. And Andrew offers no other, expecta- sorry, no other explanation. He simply says, we found the Messiah. And Peter comes. We've no idea what he is thinking. But before Andrew introduces him to Jesus, Jesus said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. You shall be called Peter. Put yourself in Peter's situation. I'm sure we've all been in a situation like this. We come to meet someone for the first time and they suddenly say all this stuff that they shouldn't know about us. I can imagine Peter doing that sidelong look at Simon. What have you been saying about me? Yeah, you've been there, hey? Yeah. And, and so Peter's here and he, he, he's in the presence of this guy he doesn't know, this Jesus who Andrew has said he's Messiah. And Jesus knows stuff about him that there's no way he could have known. Was it Andrew who told him? Jesus tells him his name. He tells him who his father is. And he says, Simon, you're a pebble. You are impulsive, you are proud, you're without purpose. That's what's contained within that name. But he says, Peter, you're going to be a rock. You're going to be dependable. You're going to be solid. You're going to be secure. You're going to be reliable. You're going to be humble. I don't know what that would do to you, but... I'd be shocked, I'd be challenged, I'd be like, what is this? And Jesus is calling out what Peter struggles with. Jesus is calling out those things that are weaknesses for him. Jesus is calling out those things which prevent Peter, stop him from being all he can be for Jesus. And he's saying, you don't have to think about that. You don't have to worry about your past. In me, there's something that I can offer that is so different, so fresh, so new. And so what he's saying to Peter is, he says it to us as well. I know you. I know your history. I know your past. And it doesn't scare me. I'm not worried by that. I know about your parents, I know your struggles, I know the difficulty you have in believing in me and in believing in yourself. But Peter, 
I know something that you don't. I know what you can become. And he says that to each one of us as well. It doesn't matter what is happening in your life right now. It doesn't matter what is coming against you. Jesus says, you know what? I can make it better than what it presently is. I can draw you into a place that you've never been before. Just trust me. Forget your past. You don't have to be who you think you are. You shall be called rock. And when we connect with Jesus, we can't stay where we are. We can't be who we once were. He's in the business of transforming lives. We're not limited by our past. It doesn't need to hold us back. That is us believing those whispers in our ears. In Jesus, we become new creations. Only in Jesus is our future truly brighter than we could ever hope or dream of. Coming to Jesus is not just about hearing who Jesus is. And what Jesus himself can do and what Jesus himself has done is about a new life for you, for me. It's about a new beginning. Not a life with a questionable future, but a life where God uses us through Jesus for greater purposes, for him, his glory, his kingdom. A life where we are called to minister to others, drawing them to God and to his kingdom. Just like John the Baptist did with Andrew, just like Andrew did with Peter, just like Peter goes on and does for thousands upon thousands of others. This is the pattern. We're called disciples in order to make disciples. It's a, a pattern that is repeated all through Scripture. It's a pattern that's repeated all through the history of the Christian church. The church is about building each other up, encouraging each other in the faith so we can be those who are bold enough to talk about Jesus. And we talk about Jesus so those we talk to will talk to others about Jesus. It starts with the command from Jesus. A call which can only come from him to each and every one of us. It's the same call he made on Philip's life. Follow me. Think about that for a moment. Do you remember that first day you gave your life to Jesus? For me, there was that definite call to follow him. To forget the past, to look to the future, to trust him. To give him my entire life. I didn't do that so well at the start. That came much later. But it's a call to follow him. To follow him as our Lord and our Saviour. But so many of us are happy with the Saviour part of Jesus. We don't want to do the Lord bit. We, we ask him to be our Saviour, to forgive us for our sins, and then we want to kick back on earth and just enjoy everything that is here and wait for him to take us home to glory. That's not the way it is. To be his disciple, we have to obey all that he says. We have to submit fully to him. We are not saved for heaven so we can ignore him while here on earth. It's a call to obedience. He is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And our salvation is attached to obediently following him in every area of our lives. So many want to go to heaven, but they want, don't want Jesus interfering now. A true follower of Jesus can't separate their eternal destiny from Jesus' purpose for them in this place at this time. To understand that purpose, we have to do what Jesus told Philip. We have to follow him. Follow Jesus. We have to live a life of obedience to Jesus. We are to live under his rule and direction. 
But there's no better way. There's no place I'd rather be. As the disciples said much later, you have the words of eternal life, where else would we go? There's nothing better on offer, people. Nothing at all. When we live with him, we experience his presence, his guidance, his favour, his benefits. And Philip seems to think that. He, like Andrew and Peter, can't seem to keep this to himself and he goes off and Philip finds Nathanael. And he said to him, We found him of whom Moses in the Lord and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. It's evident from this that Philip doesn't know the scrolls and the scriptures that well. And you may have missed it here as well. What's Philip referring to? And he's got it right where Jesus is the saviour, but Jesus wasn't the son of Joseph. It's not written in scripture that he was the son of Joseph because he wasn't born of man. Joseph wasn't his biological father. The implication is that he was born in Nazareth. He wasn't born in Nazareth. He came from Nazareth. But the implication here was that he was born there. But it doesn't matter because Philip declares that same theme. We have found the Messiah. And I think this is beautiful because it shows that we can get things wrong, but if we focus on who Jesus really is, it really doesn't matter. He lovingly corrects us and calls us to himself more and more. And so it's interesting because um, Nathaniel pushes back a little bit on this and, and there's a conversation there as well. But Nathaniel goes anyway. And he must be motivated by Philip's excitement and his enthusiasm. And as Nathanael approaches Jesus, Jesus says, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. A true Israelite, a sincere, genuine and honest Israelite. And it causes Nathanael to pause. How do you know me? And again, looking at Philip, What's he said about me? Who's this Jesus, Blake? But Jesus continues and he says, I saw you under the fig tree. And I don't know why, but this has a huge impact upon Nathaniel. Perhaps something significant, uh, something embarrassing, who knows, was happening as Nathaniel was under the tree. Perhaps he was thinking about something else. And Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree. And this impacts him greatly. It's hard to understand why or how, but it's enough. And God doesn't want us to believe in him without being able to see more of him. And because of Nathaniel's faith in what Jesus said, he's going to be able to see more of who Jesus is. We limit what we see of God in the everyday because we don't believe what he says. If we were to believe what Jesus says, if we were to read his word and apply it to our lives, we would see more of God. And I've spent time with people where we have prayed together, where we've grown in faith as we've prayed, and we've prayed for divine appointments, and God has provided them each and every day. And sure, at the start, it took people a while to see God's hand. It wasn't that he wasn't doing it previously, it's just that we didn't see it because we weren't sensitive enough to him. And this is the life that he wants for us. He wants us to see him in the everyday. When we're on our front lines and we're struggling with those who are not of the faith, he wants us to understand he is present with us and he is going to give us everything we need in order to reach out to those people for his glory. We're going to see more of Jesus. But it's going to happen when we believe what he says. But for the most part, we don't know what he says because we're not students of his word. 
we don't give time to read his word, to dig into it, to understand it, to abide in Jesus. God will show more of himself to us when we connect with him. We connect with him by reading his word, by believing it, allowing it to transform us and change us in simple terms, by doing what it says. And there are people who call themselves believers or followers of Jesus, but they don't see him, they don't experience him, because they don't acknowledge him outside this building. This is the extent of their faith. If you're a secret Christian, someone who doesn't let others know about your faith, you won't see Jesus move. You won't see him in you, you won't see him through you, you won't see him around you, and you won't see him doing stuff for you. You limit what Jesus can show you and do with you because you're not operating from that position of faith and belief in him and his word. You're not being a witness to what he says and does. And the last verse in our reading tonight says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now to all of us, when you see truly, truly, or some translate it, amen, amen, when you see those words repeated, it's an indication that the phrase or saying has huge significance. It's something that's important. It's calling your attention to it. And Jesus is calling our attention to this. He says it truly matters. You need to understand what is being said here. I want you to understand how solemn or significant this is. Pay attention to what I'm saying. It only happens once in the other Gospels. It happens 25 times in the Gospel of John. It's worth noting that Jesus has been talking to Nathaniel one-on-one, but when he comes to this, it changes to plural. Again, you may not see it clearly here, but in the Greek it's very clear. So he's talking to everyone at this point. He says, you. He's speaking to all the disciples. He's speaking to all his followers. He's speaking to you and I. Here's the link between heaven and earth. It's me, Jesus. From now on, that's what it's going to be about. It's me interceding for you with the Father. And there's going to come a time when the heavens are going to be open and Jesus is going to descend and the angels are going to be ministering with him and to him and with him and to us. And that link is already in place as we speak now, but we don't physically see it at this time. There's only one way to heaven, Jesus Christ. He's the link. He declares it. He's our Lord and Saviour if we accept him. That's the only way we can get to glory. And so in this account, those who encountered Jesus immediately told others. And I've shared before, the joy of sharing Jesus with those who don't know him is just incredible. Those who've given their life to Jesus in my presence, the first thing I get them to do is to tell someone else. If it happens here, they usually tell the office staff. But I think it's imperative that we be telling people about Jesus and what he's done in our life, how he's transformed us. When we give our testimony, it's not about me saying, way back in 1953, I gave my life to Jesus. When I give my testimony, it's about what Jesus is doing in my life now. He is a living God and he is doing great things in, through and around us. But the important thing is, 
we need to tell others about Jesus. When we connect with him, it should be such that we can't help but tell others about it. Come and see. The question is, have you done that? Have you come into the very presence of Jesus? Have you examined the evidence? Have you asked him to reveal his truth to you? And in doing that, you have to make that decision. Am I going to accept him as my Lord and Saviour because he's certainly who he claimed to be? Or am I going to choose to ignore that? And if you accept him as your Lord and Saviour, how can you not tell others? Guys, knowledge of Jesus is not enough. Coming to church is not enough. This is about deciding to follow him completely, holding nothing back, submitting fully to him. Think about that too. What is holding you back? Think about the story of Simon, the pebble, who became Peter the rock. Don't let your history and your past hold you back. There is nothing that you've done that Jesus has not paid the price for. There is nothing that you've done which would prevent him from using you for his glory and his purposes. And if there's something whispering in your ear, if there's something giving you a doubt, even now, reject it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ because that's not the way he is. He stands with arms open wide, ready to welcome any and all. He knows your past. Didn't make a difference. He came and died on the cross anyway. Doesn't bother him in the least. Don't be a part of the people who want to go to heaven but just want Jesus to leave him alone. I pray regularly that he'll hound each and every one of you. I want Jesus on your heels. I want him giving you a hard time. And I want you to submit to him. I want you to be found on your knees before him. Each and every one of us who come to Jesus have a responsibility here on earth. We cannot separate our eternal future from the life Jesus calls us to in the here and now. And I've said it again and again and again. I'm a bit of a freak. There's other freaks here as well. But I will reach people you never will and vice versa. We've spoken about our front lines at the end of last year. You encounter people I will never meet in this lifeline, in, in, in this lifetime, sorry, unless you bring them to Jesus and they come to church. What a blessing that would be. But you rub shoulders with them each and every day. It is you that will make a difference for Jesus and eternally for the kingdom simply by telling them about Jesus. We are called to abide or remain in him. How are we going with that? It's just a struggle for so many. Pray for our younger generation particularly. They're bombarded with so much information. Everything's got to be instant. And these things they should abide in they don't deliberately push them to the side, but it fades because there's so much information coming in. We need them to particularly take a step back from that, turn all the media off, focus on Jesus, and I challenge you to do the same as well. We need to find space and time to spend with Jesus. This will be different for everyone, but go somewhere where there's no distractions. For some of you, that might be a rocking chair on the front veranda. For some of you, that might be sitting by the water. For some of you, it may be sitting under a tree. For some of you, it might be in your wardrobe. Whatever it is, find that space where there's no distractions, where you can spend time with Jesus, abiding in him, learning from him, growing in him. Are you following him? And if you say you are following Jesus, your life has to reflect that. You have to submit in obedience to him. Pastor Darrell and I are starting something new today. Uh, we've provided a few very simple questions um, to the Connect Group leaders. If you're not in a Connect Group, can I please encourage you to be involved in one? 
Again, that's a place where you can abide in the word, where iron sharpens iron. You can be alongside brothers and sisters in Christ. We've had some great stories come out of our connect groups where people have grown so much in the faith. Can I encourage you to be involved in connect groups? I have this sheet for those of you who aren't in connect groups or if you'd like to take one. They're actually on uh, the counter up the back there, that beige counter. And uh, so you can take one as you leave today. Uh, if you don't pick one up and you'd like one, just text me. You know my number, 0438720007. It's all, everywhere all over the church if you need it. Text me and uh, give me your email address and I'll send these questions back to you. There's nothing holy or spiritual about this. This is about going and looking through these questions, asking yourself what God is saying to you this morning, dwelling a little bit longer in this chapter and growing in faith, hopefully. Let's pray as the worship team returns to us. Father God, what a powerful passage of scripture. And Lord, that's true of all of your scripture. It's such alive and real and challenging. And Lord, my prayer this morning is that we won't forget what you've said to us. There's going to be people here who've had someone laid on their heart, someone that they should have been praying for or speaking to. Lord, will you help them not to push that aside, but to take action and speak to that person? There's people who realise they're not spending time with you as they should. Lord, will you again, by power of Holy Spirit, remind them that they need to set an appointment in their diary every day that will not be taken by anything else, where they will just dwell with you, abide in you, learn from you. But Lord, more than anything, I pray we'll be a people who encourage each other to grow in faith, to submit fully to you. And the Lord, when our brothers and sisters fall down, we don't kick them in the guts. We pick them up. We pray for them. We encourage them. We strengthen them. Continue to do the great work you've begun, Lord. You are a good God and we love you dearly. In Jesus' name, amen.